Final notice, uh, baptisms on the 7th of April. Uh, if you would like to uh, be baptised, you can talk to Nick or Luke or myself um, before then. That would be fantastic. Who's doing the dunking? Maureen's just volunteered to uh, do the baptising, which is... <laughs> it'll be a first. Fantastic. Why not? <laughs> Excellent. Let's um, hand over to Luke. All right. How's everyone doing? Better than you were. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. I'm probably better at notices than I am at preaching. So, um, so uh, we're going to continue looking at Jesus, which is how we like to do things at this church. And in the run-up to Easter, we're spending a few weeks kind of looking at the last week of Jesus' life. So we're going to be looking at a passage in the book of John which is one of the Gospels, so John 13. If you want to flick there, because we're going to work through verse by verse, so it's going to be helpful for you to have it in front of you, so you can uh, do that. Um, If you don't know me, my name's Luke, I'm one of the pastors here, and I've been part of this church now for the last two and a half years, since we relaunched after lockdown, and uh, it's so amazing to see all kinds of people who have joined from all walks of life at different journeys in their faith over the last few years, so it's a pleasure to have you with us this morning, and I hope you find some source of encouragement as we open up God's Word. Um, So, we're going to read from John 13, and we're going to read... verses 1 to 17, and and then I just want to put it in your head, because I want us to engage in the word. I am afterwards going to ask, is there any verse that stood out to anyone? And you can put your hand up, that's okay. Uh, I'm not going to quiz you on why, you don't have to be a deep theologian, but I realise that if you've been around church a lot, you might have read this passage, and if you've never been around church, you might have never read this passage, but the point of the Bible is it speaks to us. So whilst I'm going to try and explain some things that God has been speaking to me about, I also want us to actually engage with what we're reading, rather than just go, what is Luke going to tell us to understand today? Is that okay? So we're going to read the, I'm going to read this from verses 1 to 17, and uh, then we can have a little bit of back and forth and see where we go from there. Uh, the context of this is that uh, it's going to say the Feast of the Passover. If you don't know what the Passover is, the Passover was a, a Jewish festival that they celebrated of about the Israelite people coming out of Egypt, as in which you can read about in Exodus. If you know about the story of Moses at all and kind of uh, the Prince of Egypt, you might have seen that film. This was about the time of year where they celebrated and they kind of remembered what God had done there and how they had released the, how God had seen the people of Israel come out of Egypt out of slavery into freedom. So this is the context of what the Jewish people are about to celebrate. So when we get to the the first line, it's going to say, the feast of the Passover, that's what they were recognizing. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he'd come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered, what I am doing, you do not understand now. But afterwards, you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. 
Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Amen. Right, let me pray so you have a little moment to think, and then I'm going to ask if anyone's got anything that had jumped out of them as we were reading that. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you we have this recorded account of Jesus, our saviour, and how he interacted with his followers, Lord. And I thank you that for those of us who are followers of you today, we can look at these words and kind of learn from them and apply it, Lord. And I pray that you'd help us. Holy Spirit, would you be working in each and one of us to understand more of who you are, what you've done for us, and how you love us. Amen. Amen. So has anyone got a verse that kind of, that stood out for them? That jumped out. Yeah, William, go for it. Go on, yeah, yeah. Verse 1, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. God loves us to end. Thank you. Anyone else? Go on, Shell. Having loved his own. Having loved his own. Yeah, having loved the people who followed him, who were with him. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Anyone else? Anything else jumped out to people? So, yeah, let me repeat so everyone can hear the, the bit where it says that the enemy put it in Judas's heart and Jesus knew that he would be the one. Wow. Yeah, powerful. Thanks, Paula. Yeah, go on, Nick. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Yeah, that final statement. If you know these things, blessed if you do them. Yeah, maybe one more. Yeah, go on, Shabba. Uh, verse 7, you do not realize now what I'm doing, mm. later you will understand. Yeah, wow, beautiful. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for engaging with that. I read this quote that, uh, from Albert Einstein, which says, genius is making complex ideas simple, not making simple ideas complex. That's what a genius is, and I feel like that's what Jesus is. I'm not speaking about myself in that. Jesus is talking, even in this passage, trying to demonstrate something to his disciples. It is so complex that even now, when we try and fully understand what Jesus has done for us, what it means for us, we can feel it mind-boggling. But Jesus is trying to make it simple through his demonstrations. Um, So we're going to work through, sort of verse by verse, and just kind of, I'm going to try and help us understand it, explain it, a bit more like a traditional Bible study. Don't worry, I'm not going to get us into groups like I have over the last time or uh, get you drawing diagrams. This is a more simple sermon to be able to work through. Hopefully you can take some notes in your phone app or if you're you're doing paper, that's okay as well. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so verse one, like I said, it was this festival to celebrate. Um, 
This was something interesting about Jesus. In this moment, there was, uh, it's like he knew it was his last meal. So in so much of Jesus' life, he only does what he sees the Father's doing. But it's almost like there's a moment where he is starting to realize his time has come. That actually this is kind of, he's in his last few days uh, before he's crucified. And he's, I get the feeling, I get a sense that he's almost wanting to leave like a lasting impression on his disciples. A lasting impression. What do they, what do I want them to remember? All these things. And, uh, this Passover meal in all four of the gospels, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all accounts of Jesus' time on earth. All of them talk about this, this moment, this kind of celebrating the Passover feast together. And, uh, people often are like, oh, sometimes it's slightly different, but it would be like all of us going home and telling people what happened at this service on Sunday. We would all miss out different points. We'd all say different things, but it would all be true. Right? Do you see what I mean? That's what these accounts are. They don't all have to perfectly line up to believe that they happened, and they're not contradictory. It's almost just like, who can remember all four songs that we sung just a minute ago? No. Well, all right, I surrender. All right, I give you that one. <laughs> but the point being that these accounts that we read about Jesus' life are four different perspectives, and what were, what were they are all true, right? So this is what we remember. And I think as Bolas just shared, that then we move into verse 2, where during the supper, the devil had already put it into his heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And I read this, and you kind of think, wow, for us, we need to guard our hearts, right? And that can feel like a funny turn of phrase, but in Proverbs, it says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it throws the springs of life. What does it mean to keep our heart pure? Will it kind of, don't let bitterness grow? Don't let pride grow. Don't let self-reliance grow. Just be able to kind of go, do you know what? I want to keep my heart pure, my heart focused on God. And that means sometimes we're going to have to forgive. Sometimes we're going to have to humble ourselves. But we need to guard our hearts. Now, I don't want to focus too much on the whole Judas scenario. There's a whole <laughs> load of sermons we could do on that. But the key thing I remember, even our day-to-day walks, we have to guard our hearts. When someone at work says something that puts us out of, puts us out of, bent out of order, we're like, oh, how do we deal with that? How do we, hold, how do we make sure we forgive them? We don't let these things grow in our heart because actually uh, out of our heart flows the springs of life. We've got to keep asking the Holy Spirit to renew us. Then verse 3, it's sort of this reiterating. John is clearly recounting this, that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. This is reiterating what we said in verse 1, that something different was coming. Jesus knew that this was the time, that it was this kind of your final moment. Have you ever had conversations, maybe over dinner or with friends? If it was your last day on earth, what would you do? Some people might say things like skydive or go and spend all my money on a fancy meal or spend it with my loved ones. Kind of, this is kind of the final moments of Jesus' life and how he was choosing to spend it. And then verse four, what does he do? He rises from supper. He lays aside his outer garments and taking a towel, ties it around his waist. Then he pours water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now talk about a way to spend your last days before you get crucified, washing the disciples' feet. Now, I don't know about you, I don't really fancy watching, washing any of your feet right now. Uh, and I've seen plenty of sermons where the preacher gets someone out and starts washing their feet. Don't worry, I'm not going to do that today. I didn't really fancy that. Uh, but then there's a challenge at the end for what do I do with that? But 
The point is, back in their culture, they were all in sandals and dirt roads. Uh, and I don't know, <laughs> it's even more grimy. Imagine if you went over to someone's house, well, you, you might be a shoes-off house or a shoes-on house. Do you know that? You've got some people who are very strictly shoes-off, completely legitimate. Some people are not bothered about shoes-on or off. They're, they're sort of chilled. And then some people don't even consider it. They're just in, right? The point is that the reason people are shoes-off homes because they go, well, a cat might have weed there or there might be some salt and grit in that, that bit of the thing. So I don't, want you, I don't want you walking that through my carpet completely legitimate. So if someone asks you to take their shoes off in their home, just go, yeah, of course, I want to bless you, but you might not care. But the point is, in that context, it was dust, it was mucky, there was cattle, your feet would have been disgusting. So it was kind of the done thing in those times that the servants within the home would have washed their feet. So before the meal, almost as they come in, someone would have sat washing the feet. Talk about Jesus, who they call Lord and Teacher. Washing their feet. And the crazy thing is, I read this and I go, I think someone's forgot to do the feet washing. Because they're already sat down at dinner. Right? <laughs> you imagine if you got in someone's house and they said, oh, sorry, do you mind taking your shoes off? And you're thinking, I've been here for 20 minutes. We've eaten dinner and what's going on? <laughs> Jesus is doing this to make a point. To leave a lasting impression. And... This is almost more stark when we compare it to the account of this, this situation in Luke 22. Now, they don't reference about the washing of the feet. But in verse, in Luke 22, we're kind of at the same point in the story. And at dinner, the disciples are having an argument about who's the greatest. <laughs> Who is the best disciple? So you've got these two accounts telling different moments. John's going, I want to write about the washing of feet. Luke is writing about, we're all having an argument. <laughs> about who was the greatest. And then this is what Jesus said to them in Luke 22. For who is greater, one who reclines at a table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at a table? But I am among you as the one who serves. So they're having this bickering. You know, I sort of imagine it sometimes, we, me and Sarah literally chatting to our kids yesterday, going, right, guys, we've got to stop having a competition about who's better. Because one of them say, I'm the funniest. And they're like, but I do the craziest faces. And I do this. And I do this. You kind of think the disciples would have been, well, I'm the greatest. No, I, what about that, that, that? Jesus go, sorry. I sort of imagine he's washing feet. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Is it you? <laughs> Jesus uses kind of these illustrations and these moments of actions to really make a point with his disciples. Jesus was the one who came to serve. And demonstrated this. And what he was doing there was a f- only just like a foreshadowing of what was to come a few days later when he goes to the cross and dies for them. That washing your feet would have been so insignificant. I almost think that the other three accounts that don't mention the washing of the feet, they can sort of be forgiven because a few days later he went to the cross, died and rose again, that they sort of went, well, let's really make a big deal out of this one. I forgot. Oh, flip. John wrote that down. That's a really good point. That did happen. Yeah. But I think this is really important that Jesus, Luke reiterates, Jesus came to serve. He's emphasizing that with his disciples. In John, he's down on his knees. He's taken off his outer garments. He's going from the Lord, the teacher, the master to the servant. And then we get to Peter. And uh, if you've read any of the Gospels, Peter's often kind of the guy who sort of is first out the gate. He's the, he's the one who speaks quickly. Not And... Uh, this little exchange, I love it. Uh, Jesus comes to Peter 
And Peter said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand, but afterwards you will understand. Peter then says to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answers him, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. Then Peter has a complete turnaround. He's gone, you're never, never washing my feet. Jesus said, if you don't let me, you don't share with me. He's like, fine, do my feet, do my head, do my whole body, do everything. Complete turnaround. He's, he's gone from, no, not me, to all of me, all of me. Jesus responds to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. So Jesus is sort of throwing a little bit, you are clean, but not every one of you at Judas. I would have felt, I can't imagine how Judas would have felt in this moment. Um, but I want to focus on Peter, because Peter's like, uh, no, please don't. He's almost like embarrassed. You imagine if someone, even a politician or something like that, someone who is regarded as in power, someone came in and started washing our feet. I think all of us, please, don't wash my feet. <laughs> you don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. But in case if... Demonstrate. <laughs> no. <laughs> but the point is, if I do not wash you, you have no share of me. Then Peter has a complete turnaround. It's almost like he understands. Well, I want to share. I want to be with you. I want to do this with you. I want to share, do the whole thing. And Jesus then starts to speak about this salvation that we have in him. The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. Now, if you think about it, uh, who hands up if you're like a, a shower or bath in the evening kind of person? Interesting. Shower or bath in the morning person? Interesting. Interesting. I, if I did that with my in-laws, they, they're all like evening people, so it's an interesting, funny one, right? We're learning more about each other. LAUGHTER but the point is, uh, you don't have showers multiple times a day unless you get really grimy, right? The point is, there's a washing, but say you're cooking dinner and you chop up some chicken, you're not going, flip, I need to get back in the shower, do you? That's not how it works. In the same way, you, uh, I don't know, you've just gone to the toilet, you're not having a shower after the toilet. You don't need that because you're clean. But the point Jesus, and that's what Jesus is saying, look, by coming to me, you are completely clean. But actually, there's an element that sometimes there's a bit of muck that is going on around in the earth that we need to wash ourselves off. It says this in 1 John, which is a different John later in the Bible. 1 John 1 verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. All unrighteousness, sorry. If we confess our sins... God is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us, completely cleanse us. We are completely righteous. We are completely saved. Our sin doesn't count against us. But day-to-day life happens. And there's sort of like this underlying, we are clean. We are washed. We are righteous. But then we need to keep coming back to the Lord saying, forgive us. Help us. When Bob was talking about baptisms, baptisms are are symbolic and spiritual. There's a whole world of things going on in baptism. But the point is, it's a washing. It's a cleansing. You go into the water. You die with Jesus. That's what it symbolizes. And you rise again with him. And it's like a washing of your sin. 
The Bible talks about it being us washed whiter than snow. You think of like a, a bride on a wedding day will wear a white gown to symbolize purity. It's like that. That pure white comes out. Nothing sticks. That's the point of what Jesus is making. We've been cleansed. You don't need to go on being baptized. There's a reason why not everyone's getting baptized in a few weeks' time, because lots of us have been baptized. Uh, but actually, we do need to ongoing just wash our hands, wash our feet. Keep coming back to Jesus. Charles Spurgeon says this. He that believe in Christ is fully forgiven. He is like a man who's gone into the bath and washed. But when he steps out of the bath and put his foot on the ground, he often soils it so that before he robes himself, he needs to wash his feet again. That is our condition as believers in Jesus. We are washed in his precious blood and are whiter than snow. But these feet of us constantly touch this defiling earth, so they need every day to be washed. I think as well for us believers, not only do we need this ongoing washing, this kind of cleaning, but we also need an ongoing filling of the Spirit, right? Wherever we go is full of darkness, full of challenges, full of opposition. And we need to keep coming back and say, Holy Spirit, help us. Help us as we go to drop our kids off at the school playground. Help us as we go to the supermarket. Help us as we go uh, to uh, work, to college, to the hospitals that we work in. Help us. We need the Holy Spirit. Almost this constant, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Imagine if every time we're washing our hands, we're going, Lord, I need your help. I need your help. What if you, you might wash your hands? I don't know. I haven't even counted this week. Maybe... 5, 10, 15, 20, I don't know how many times a day you wash your hands. But imagine if every one of those moments, like, Lord, just help me. Would your Holy Spirit help me? I've got this big meeting next. Help me with patience with my kids. <laughs> help me uh, as I go to the food bank to serve. Help me as I go and look after my sick family member. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. All of us need constant filling of God's grace and mercy. Uh, and then we're going to, so then in John 13, 11, John writes, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. So John is writing this account after Jesus had died, gone to heaven and rose again. This was written. It wasn't like kind of he was writing it as they were going. Uh, it's almost like John went, ah, makes sense why he was going, not all of you are clean because Judas was going to betray him. Right. So that's what John is writing there. Now back into the hand of the feet washing. Verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. Jesus is sort of making this point. You guys, you're calling me teacher, Lord, but here I am, I've sort of unclothed myself, humbled myself in front of you to do this. This is what I'm demonstrating to each of you. Talk about lasting impressions. <laughs> what would have stuck him? Man, what did they say to him? What did he say? He said we should serve because he did that for us. Do you think if like in that day that basically Jesus would have been sort of down to his underwear washing their feet? That would have been like not a dignifying position. 
would not be nice. You think, probably don't do your cleaning in your best clothes, right? You're in your cleaning clothes, your chore clothes. And people are in your hat. Jesus is sort of being undignified. But this is only small in comparison to what he did on the cross. Where he was beaten. Where he was called all kinds of names. Where he was hung on the cross. Naked and ashamed for all of us. Washing some feet would have felt like nothing when Jesus knew what was coming. Jesus giving them this example of humbling themselves. Humility is sort of defined as the quality of having a modest or low view of one's importance. Jesus had no need to have a low view of himself or his importance. He was doing what the Father was speaking to him. He was following the Lord. He was the one who was given for all of us, but was able to come low before his disciples, went to the cross for us. Uh, I am definitely guilty of not having a low view of importance of myself. Like Pride is one of the things I really struggle with. Really struggle with. I know most of you don't struggle anywhere near on the same level that I would. But it's important we see Jesus' example of humility, of low self-importance, that he's going to serve the, 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 the most lowest in society. And you read that throughout all the Gospels. Jesus went to people who were considered unlovely, People who are considered unworthy, unclean. That's who Jesus went to. He humbled himself. When actually he's the king, the king of kings, the lord of lords, really should be sat on the throne. Is now, but on earth, they would never saw him like that. There's a, a passage in Philippians where the apostle Paul, uh, he was writing to a church in Philippi, it's like sort of Turkey, Greece area now. And um, he was talking about Jesus' example of humility. He was writing to them. Mike was sharing about it last week, actually. But he was writing to them. And Philippians 2 verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Paul wasn't at this dinner, but he's already got this example of, we need to count others more significant than yourselves. How often do we count others more significant themselves than, than ourselves? It's one of the things we're trying to teach our children. With four and seven-year-olds, it's quite hard. <laughs> but you hope as they get to adults, they might be better at it. But he's giving these disciples this lasting memory of what it should be. And we've got it recorded so we can have this last. What, what does Jesus really want us to get? He wants to get that if... If he doesn't wash us, we have no share with him. If he's our Lord and teacher and he's washed us, we ought to do it for one another's. He's trying to leave this example for us. It's what he says in verse 15. He says, for I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. That's what Nick highlighted at the, at the end. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It's interesting. In my, tra- in my translation, I'm reading from the ESV, but in others it's, it's slightly different. But it has these if statements, sort of these conditions Jesus puts to his disciples. If you're reading from different translations, it might say, unless you do this. Now, if you understand this, it's basically point, if you get this, this is what it will look like. 
Jesus is saying, if you know these things, then you are blessed. If you know that I have saved you, that I have washed you and you are completely clean, you will see my example of humility and serving others and pouring yourself out for others and you will do the same. It's like faith in action. Now I want to ask you a question just to ponder for yourselves is, how does your life look different because of Jesus? Because of understanding who Jesus is, how does your life look different? What about your day-to-day, the way you work, the way you study, the way you parent, the way you grandparent, the way you go about the streets, the way you march down the London streets, bashing tourists out the way? I don't do that anymore. (laughs) But how does our lives look different because of Jesus? And interestingly, doing these things, isn't it's not like an optional extra of following Jesus. It's like an outworking of what we believe because we're allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us to help us make become more like Jesus. And when Jesus went to heaven, he promised the Holy Spirit to come as a helper to help us to be more and more like him. So where we start off over here and Jesus over here, over time, because of the Holy Spirit, we get more and more less like us and more like Jesus. It's beautiful, but we've got to allow that to work, God to do that. I'm reading this book at the moment by a guy called um, John Mark Comer, which, which is probably worth a read. It's called Practicing the Way. But he has these like three uh, titles within it that is talking about what does it mean to practice the way. When he talks about practicing the way, he's like, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And he sums it up by saying, you've got to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did. Which interestingly is what Jesus is saying in this passage of washing his feet. Be with Jesus, have a share with him, become like him, kind of see what he's doing, start washing other feet, and do what he did. That's what he's sort of saying. Now, I'm going to read this quote. It's a bit punchy, as in like, it might go, oh, but it went like it for me, so I feel like we can share it. I don't mean this is any critique of anyone in here, but I want to allow us to kind of just ponder it and kind of let the Holy Spirit reveal our own hearts. Is that okay? So please don't receive this as a, Luke said this to me. <laughs> and if I look up at you when I, after I've read it, don't take it personally. <laughs> All right? It's just happened to be where I'm looking. I'll look at the clock. <laughs> okay. This is what John Mark Comer says, which is provocative. The problem is, in the West, we have created a culture where you can be a Christian, but not an apprentice of Jesus. Much preaching of the gospel today does not call people to a life of discipleship. Following Jesus seems as optional, optional, a post-conversion second track for those who want to go further. Tragically, this has created a two-tier church, where a large swathe of people who believe in God and even regularly attend church have not re-architected their daily lives on the foundation of apprenticeship to Jesus. This is an alien idea in the writings of the New Testament. For example, in the literary design of the Gospels, you have two recurring groups, the apprentices, the disciples, and the crowds. The apprentices included all of the followers of Jesus, the 12 disciples, but also many others, including women. The crowds were simply everyone else. 
There is no third category of Christian who could gem- who generally agree with most of what Jesus is saying, but don't follow him. Uh, sorry, there is no third category of Christians who generally agree with most of what Jesus was saying, but don't follow him or make a serious attempt to obey these teachings. But it's all good because they will go to heaven when they die. <laughs> the point he's trying to make is you're either following Jesus or you're not. Right? That's what he's trying to say. You can't kind of like the idea of Jesus. Oh, it's good. But it not start to affect your daily life. Those two ideas aren't compatible. Right? Now, I feel that daily, kind of going, but Lord, I've got, a, I've got all this stuff on at work, and I've got the kids to school, and rebuild a house at the moment, and all this stuff going on. I can't fit all this in. He goes, what are you going to do without me? Like, well, I'm not saying that, but sort of, yeah, <laughs> it's not good. It's not healthy. I want my whole life, the way we do our family life, to go, well, how does this look different because of what Jesus has done for us? How does me as a husband, how does that look different because of what Jesus has done for me? How does being a parent look different because of what Jesus has done for me? How does me as being an employee and a boss look different because of what Jesus has done for me? How does me being a pastor look different because of what Jesus has done for me? As a friend, as a brother, as a son. You see, all of us have different roles in our lives. Child, parents, grandparents, boss, employee, all of these different things. How do those areas of our life look different? Now, at the end of John 13, we didn't read it, but it's a very famous passage, which Jesus says. So it's like at the end of this meal, he's gone through some other bits, and he goes to John 13, 34 to 35, and he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, this is a beautiful passage. And whilst I've been provocative today, I actually want to finish off as being encouraging for us as a church. Because one of the things I recognize about us as a church, since I've been part of this church, is it's full of people who demonstrate their love for Jesus in really tangible and practical ways. There's an unbelievable amount of serving that goes on, not just on a Sunday, but in helping people move homes to providing meals when people have children, to just blessing people in tough times. It's just one moment. This amazing act of generosity right across the church. Uh, even a few weeks ago, someone was on the verge of being evicted from their home and people in the church came behind them and said, that's not going to happen. We're going to help you out. Never heard of anything like that before. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. On Little Gems this week, the, the, the parent and toddler group were running. The team decided, they were just going to say to people, look, if, if you're here and love any prayer, we'd love to pray with you. A couple of the parents stayed behind to receive prayer. They don't follow Jesus. But these are people who are saying, we want to be known for our love. There's people who are tutoring teenagers that aren't their own. People who have given up their time, their money, their energy on top of their full-time jobs to bless teenagers who wouldn't have opportunities otherwise. There's people in this church who are taking whole families on holiday for complete free. It's like, wow, what amazing people. 
We do stuff like Operation Christmas Child, where we pile up 60, 70 boxes to send to the poorest in the world. We put on kids' parties that the community can come to because of, (laughs) just for free, just to be a blessing. As I say these things, these are just the things I know about. We've got someone who runs a cafe and prays for pretty much everyone who comes in and saw someone raised from the dead <laughs> last year. I want to encourage us, church, that we are we're doing all right at being known for our love. I think we can grow, but I want to encourage us that actually the way I see the love working across the church is amazing. Really extraordinary. So whilst John Mark Comer is quite uh, provocative, I think I want to be encouraging that I see the love across this church. And I want more people to know about it. Because I know that the reason we do things is not just because you're kind people, whilst you are very kind people, but it's because you realise what Jesus has done for you. And if all of us got that on a deeper level of kind of going, well, I'm just going to pour myself out. I'm going to consider others more significant myself because I know that Jesus went to the cross for me. It's like, Wow. And it will look different for all of us. All of us have different capacities and different energies and different resources, and that's okay. But in our own lives, going, right, how can I think to consider others significant, more significant than themselves, ourselves? I know personally, I'm like in a season where I'm like struggling to have time to just do my family well, which means sometimes it's like hard to do the other stuff. That's okay. But sometimes you might mind yourself in, oh, I've got loads of space to be able to love people, serve people, bless people. Amazing. It's not like a comparison game. We don't want to be in the disciple, like the disciples were in Luke. Who's the greatest? <laughs> Who's doing the most? No, we just want to be humbly washing feet and going, Lord, would you help us to be a blessing to all those around us? I long for us to be a church where not just in this building, but in our communities, in our closes, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in the local parks where we become people who are known for their love. People go, I just want to be around you because you just care for me in a way that no one's ever cared for me. And you go, well, let me tell you about Jesus. Should we pray? Yeah? Uh, we've got a few minutes, but let me pray. If anyone has felt anything that God's kind of maybe been speaking to them, they might want to come and share, then yeah, let us pray and then we'll just see what God does. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you came to this earth because you loved us. And you humbled yourself as a, as a demonstration to us of what we should do. And Lord, I thank you for the love that is in this church. I thank you for the people who genuinely consider others more significant than themselves. It's wonderful and humbling, Lord. And I pray that you'd help us to be a church community that is known for our love. Not just within the church, but by all people we'd be known for our love. The way we serve, the way we bless. Lord, I thank you for the many testimonies that we have even in this room, Lord, of you demonstrating your love through us, Lord. Lord, help us not to do it to puff ourselves up, Lord, but do it humbly because we know what you've done for us. Holy Spirit, would you help us? Help us to really consider this thing as... If we believe this, then how does it affect our day-to-day lives? Pray that even as we go from this place, you'd be revealing it to us. Things we might need to change or shift. But Lord, help us to do it in your power, 
not our own. <coughs> Lord, most importantly than us all, Lord, I thank you that by coming to you, by seeking forgiveness, we are washed completely clean. There's no more we could do to earn salvation or freedom, Lord. But you have done it, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that even today, if we've never done it, Lord, we can receive your forgiveness. Help us, Lord, I pray. Such a fantastic talk. Thank you so much, Luke. Um, I read this this morning, and I just felt there were lots of people that would be blessed by this, because it so blessed me. And it's um, a prayer from a guy called Pete Gregg, who lots of you may know from the 24-7 prayer movement. Um, you know, the things he does, and the writings he has. It's a lovely prayer, and I just thought it would be nice to sort of end with this, really, because it reflects a lot of what um, Luke was talking about. And it's called Sabbath Blessing. May this day bring Sabbath rest to my heart and my home. May God's image in me be restored and my imagination in God be restored. May the gravity of material things be lightened and the relativity of time slow down. This is the really important bit. May I know the grace to embrace my own finite smallness in the arms of God's infinite greatness. Isn't that beautiful? i just read that bit again. May I know the grace to embrace my own finite smallness in the arms of God's infinite greatness. May God's word feed me and his spirit lead me into the week and into the life to come. Amen. Great. Well, kids are starting to come back in. Um, just say, if you're here and would love prayer for anything, uh, whether it's a situation in your life, you just love some people to stand with you. If it's a situation that you're just like, oh, I don't know how this is going to get through. Uh, please, it's just, if you're here with someone you know and you can just nudge them on the shoulder, please do that. If you're like, I don't know who to pray with, then please just sort of come down to this area. Uh, Nick, myself, Bob, Vicky, we'll be here ready to pray because we just love it, right? It's, it's important to be able to stand with each other, go through these circumstances. Um, and then just to say this afternoon, uh, our friends up at Tottenham are having their first public meeting and uh, they've just put out a sort of a call to arms. If anyone wants to come up at 2.30, it starts this, this afternoon, a place called the Harris Academy. It's a school. They'd love a bit of support. So they're just starting their first ever Sunday and uh, they've just said, hey, if anyone wants to come and make up some numbers and be part of this new journey, then uh, please come and join. So that's at 2.30 this afternoon at the Harris Academy. I can drop it on the WhatsApp, maybe. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, let's, uh, we can enjoy fellowship, being with one another. Like I said, if, you really, if you're here and just need to chat and you want to pray, please come, and, uh, come down the front if you don't know who to pray for. There's nothing holy about the front. It's just kind of easier to work out what's going on. Um, but bless you. I uh, hope God's encouraged you in some way this morning. And uh, go about this week loving people as the way Jesus has loved you.